We're going to look at a message today I simply call Savior, Savior. Let's stand together as we read God's Word, reverence the reading of it. Luke chapter 2 and verse 11. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And may God bless the reading of His Word today as my prayer. You may be seated. For this morning and our Christmas Eve service on Saturday and our Christmas Day service next Sunday morning, we will consider the three glorious aspects of the personality of Jesus Christ that were presented in this angelic announcement from so long ago, Savior, Christ, and Lord. And today, we'll see him as Savior. Angelic messengers figured prominently in the biblical narrative surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. And to see that in its broader context, we go back to verse 8, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, the angel of the Lord. Angels are to a large degree mysterious and powerful spiritual creations of God. Their existence is unquestionable. Uh, do I believe in angels? Of course I do. Of course I do. Are angels real? Of course they are. How do we know it? The Bible says so. Have I ever seen one? No. I don't even know anybody personally who's ever seen one. Uh, I've heard about some folks who've made some claims along the way. I, I don't know about all that. But I do know what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. You say, what does that mean? Exactly what it says. You never know when you take a stranger out to lunch or show hospitality to someone. You never know. It might be an angel. That's what the Bible says. What that tells us is, uh, for our purposes this morning, is we see the shepherds seeing the angels appearing in a glorious manifestation of their angelic personality. But it doesn't always happen that way. When it does happen that way, you know how people respond? They're terrified. If one of those glorious seraphim were to show up in our services right now, we'd all be on our face scared to death, terrified. That's exactly what happened to the shepherds so long ago. And the angels' first announcement then to them was, fear not, don't be afraid. Angelic messengers often carried news of judgment, sometimes catastrophic judgment but not this time don't be afraid they said we bring you glad tidings of great great joy angels were not uh, given the great commission go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature that that wasn't given to angels 
But on the night Jesus was born, an angel got to tell the good news. And the book of Revelation tells us this, Revelation 14 and 6, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. We don't know how that's going to play out. Uh, The Bible doesn't tell us. It just tells us that it will. So on the night Jesus was born, an angel got to tell the good news. And when he comes back, an angel is going to tell the good news. It doesn't often happen, but it has happened some. You see, it behooves us to remember that the normal way that the gospel is presented is from person to person, people to people, saved people who tell lost people the good news that Jesus Christ has come, that he's died on the cross for our sins, that salvation is available, that the Savior, the Savior has arrived. And we'll look, about, look at that this morning and consider how that Jesus Christ is the Savior. I'd call your attention this morning to the fact that the angel specifically says there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The Savior was born. He was already the Savior. We ask ourselves the question, how did those people in the Old Testament, uh, how were they saved? How did they have a relationship with God. How were they justified? Well, the Bible tells us the just shall live by faith. And that was something all the way back in the Old Testament. We know that Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. And he believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness at that moment when God had promised him that child, the seed of Abraham we talked about last week. People in the Old Testament were saved by the same Savior That saved you and I. They were saved by looking forward to his coming. By believing on him and trusting him. Everybody who was saved in the Old Testament was saved that way. We too are saved today by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus was not going to be the Savior when he was born He already was the Savior. You say, I don't understand that. Well, you're in good company. Uh, We act like we all understand it, but you know, it's it's kind of complicated. You see, every birth that we've ever been around, including our own, brought into existence a new personality. There was somebody who was conceived and then born, and, and they were a unique personality. They'd never been here before, and there'd never be another one just like them. But when Jesus Christ was born, it wasn't the bringing into existence a new personality. It was simply the manifestation of that personality that had been all along. It had been seen before in various ways and it appeared in various ways. But now, now he's been manifested. He is incarnated. The word became flesh, the Bible says. And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. And to you this day is born a Savior. Now we're going to be looking at this truth. Let's remember that this same thing was announced before. By 
Maybe the same angel, but that time it was to Joseph. And while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth the Son, and shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. There it is again, the Savior. The Greek word, by the way, pronounced Jesus. Uh, you see, the Spanish folks have it a lot closer to being right than we do. That's the Greek word and its proper pronunciation. And it actually means Jesus then, means Jehovah is salvation. That's what it means. His very name means Savior, Savior. He would make his own announcement then about his role as Savior in a rather unique situation and made a very powerful point when he did. Jesus was in the ancient city of Jericho, one of the oldest cities on the planet. So he was surrounded by crowds, as he always was, and a man who was somewhat height-challenged climbed up a tree to see Jesus. Jesus went home with him to a feast. Though he was a despised publican, a tax collector, Zacchaeus by name, People get, began to complain about this, as they so often did. Well, why is he going home to eat with him? Why didn't he go with us, I guess? That man's a sinner. And so Jesus responded in Luke chapter 19 and verse 9, and he said this, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And when Jesus was pointing out that Zacchaeus was a son of Abraham, that was, he was of Jewish descent. He was a Jewish person. But it wasn't that that Jewishness had anything to do with his salvation. The point that Jesus made was that he was a child of Abraham who was lost, just like a lot of other people in that audience. Remember that Jesus would speak to another crowd on another occasion and they would say to him, we, we have Abraham as our father. And they were convinced that because they were of the descent of Abraham and they had a sign of God's covenant with Abraham, which was circumcision, they were convinced then that they were right with God. But God, Jesus responded to them, listen, we could raise up of these stones seed of Abraham. And it wasn't that they were the seed of Abraham that had anything to do with their salvation. Though Zacchaeus was a child of Abraham, he still needed to be saved. And he was. How was he saved? <laughs> he was saved just like you are. He was saved because he believed on Jesus Christ. This day, then, salvation is come to this house. And so as Jesus presents himself as the one to seek and to save that which was lost, the Savior sent from God, manifested, tabernacled into this world. We're going to look at several things that this means to us in order to magnify the truth and bring focus to it for what it means that Jesus is our Savior. And right up front we see in what Jesus himself said that Jesus seeks the lost. Jesus seeks the lost. Jesus is the seeker. Romans chapter 3 and verse 11 says, There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. 
You see, God did not leave us in this world just to go seeking after him and finding him because that's not going to happen. There's none, the Bible says, that seeks after God. You show me a person who has interest in spiritual things, someone who is asking questions, who is concerned about their eternal destiny, maybe even thinking, I need to get in church or go to church. They're concerned or thinking about spiritual things. I'll show you somebody that the Spirit of God is working on because left to ourselves, we're not going to seek after God. For the most part, you see, the, the lost are lost, and they don't know they're lost. They're like Zacchaeus, like multitudes of others in Jesus' day, and like multitudes in our day. They're lost, but they don't know they're lost. Some years ago, in fact, I must say many years ago now, I was pastor over here at Calvary Baptist Church in Hazen. We'd had an incredibly busy week, uh, just uh, one funeral after another funeral after another funeral. And that particular night, we had a visitation after church on Sunday night. I left out going to the funeral home. Nancy left out with the kids, I thought. I'm at the funeral home. This was before cell phone days. And... The lady behind the desk calls me over and said, Brother Richard, it's Nancy. And Nancy said, do you have Corey? That's her oldest son. I said, no, you have Corey. She said, I didn't. I didn't. Let me tell you, that little rascal, how old was Corey? Five? Was he five, six? About three or four? He had snuck out behind the church building to a playground Nancy came in a different car. I thought she had him. I was there. She thought I had him. He had snuck off and went to playing. A lady knew him, saw, knew us, brought him to our house. I can tell this story now because I don't, the, the seven year statute of limitations has expired. <laughs> We'd have been in trouble years ago, I'll tell you. Lady brought him to our house. I think this is your boy. Yeah, it was. Corey was lost, and he didn't know he was lost. And we didn't know he was lost for a while. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that was a, that was a terrible, <laughs> frightening thing. Thank God it ended well. Uh, but I'm going to tell you something this morning. People who are lost that don't know they're lost, it doesn't always end well. It doesn't always end well. So we need to talk for a moment today about what it means to be lost, even when you don't know you're lost. You see, the, the imagery that is given to us in Scripture is about how God sees people. And it's spelled out for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them if our gospel be hid. It is hid to them that are lost. The devil gets blamed for a lot of things he doesn't do, but this is one thing the devil does do. He blinds the minds of people. So that they do not know they are lost. 
person is lost. They're living life their own way. They're going about their own business. They're making their own decisions. They're choosing for themselves. They might know that their life isn't perfect. Um, maybe they don't have anything about church, anything to do with church. They don't know much about the Bible, but you're doing your best, and you might even be doing pretty good. You never think that you're lost, but you are. You don't think that you're separated from God, like, but you are. Much like that child that can be separated from his parents, that can go a little while without knowing anything is wrong. It's amazing how easy it is for the devil to fill our lives and minds with distractions, keep us busy, so that we never think of our need for a Savior. Most of the time when the Bible speaks of those who are lost, it was born out of the concept and and that agrarian society that was ancient Israel where so many people had sheep and Somebody had to watch out for them. And a sheep could wander away and be lost and not know it. But the shepherd knew. If you're lost from God tonight, today, you may not know it, but the shepherd does. And he is seeking after you. You see, that's what the Savior does. He seeks those who are lost. They may not know they're lost, but they are. They're lost because they're going their own way. And they're separated from God. But there's more. You see, a Savior, Jesus, seeks the lost. But then as Savior, we also see that he brings life to the dead. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, and which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. This isn't some weird movie scene that Paul describes as some ghostly, otherworldly phenomenon out of a bad movie. I see dead people all the time. They don't know they're dead. Uh, No, this is a real kind of dead. Dead people. Just like the lost people who don't know they're lost. Dead people who don't know they're dead. They're dead spiritually. And without Jesus Christ in their life, you see, you're very much alive to sin. You're very much alive to the senses, very much alive to the desires of the body and of the mind. Very alive to the influence and the work of the spiritual darkness and the ruler of it that Paul describes in this passage. And we've already seen in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 how he blinds the eyes of them that believe not so that the gospel doesn't shine unto them. You're spiritually dead if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life. doesn't matter how many times you say, well, I'm a spiritual person. No, you're not. Unless you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and trusted him to be Savior. Jesus himself, again, said it for us. John chapter 10 and verse 10. 
The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have what? Life. I have come that they may have life. That they may have life. And that they may have it more abundantly. So Jesus comes to those who are dead in their sins. Numb to the things of God. He comes, why? So that you may have life. The thief he speaks of in this passage is none other than the same one that Paul called in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the God of this world, the prince of darkness, the thief who wants only to destroy life and leave you with nothing. As opposed to Jesus Christ who wants to give you life, and not just any kind of life, but abundant life. This isn't necessarily a promise of wealth. It's a promise of raising life to a different dimension. Life lived, the joy of living as it is intended to be lived. It doesn't mean that the struggle with sin isn't still there. It is. But now there is the promise of victory and the practice of victory and the potential of ultimate victory that we'll experience in eternity with Jesus Christ. So that now and for all eternity, because we have believed on Jesus Christ, though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we've been made alive and will be alive forevermore. So Jesus, then as Savior, seeks the lost, even though they don't know they're lost. He raises the dead, even though they don't know they're dead. And there's one more. Then Jesus finds those who really don't know what they're seeking or what they're looking for. Isaiah said this one best in Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 1. He said, I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, Behold me, behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. We've already declared this morning that there's none that seeketh after God. But that doesn't mean that they're not seeking after a lot of other stuff. Because they are. God had given Isaiah a glorious revelation about the Savior who was to come and who would fulfill this glorious promise of people then who would find God. And how would they find him? Because God would say, behold me, (laughs) behold me, the who, the people who weren't looking for me. They were looking for everything but me. And lo and behold, they, in fact, would be found of them that sought me not. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2, he spoke of this same principle. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light, and they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath the light shine. Verse 6 then, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so to those who were seeking everything but him, they were seeking something, something to fill the void. To seek all kinds of things. And we find all kinds of things. Things that will help us to cope. Things that will make us feel better sometimes. 
I may be preaching today to people who have lived many, many days of your life looking for all kinds of things without ever thinking that what you really need is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Maybe preaching to some watching from home. You've gone through maybe a whole lifetime without ever really thinking about how much you need Jesus in your life. You've sought a lot of things. You've worked hard in order to attain a lot of things. The Old Testament prophets spoke of how this can happen. How God would warn them that they could go through their life and accumulating wealth. But he said, you'll, you'll put your money in a bag, he says, that has holes in the bottom. And we all know what that's like. Because no matter how much money we make, it seems like there's always a need for more and more and more. And then when we get the more and more, it still doesn't satisfy Seeking something and not knowing what that something is. But God, through Jesus Christ, says, behold me. You see, the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15 presents Jesus as the image of the invisible God. So that when Jesus Christ was born in that Bethlehem stable so long ago, when he lived as a sinless man in a world full of sinners. When he died on the cross, he died for your sins and mine. When he was buried, it was a crucial part so that everybody would know that his death was real. One day, two days, three days, crashing out of the tomb. Resurrected. You say, Brother Richard, are you confused? Do you think it's Easter? No. <laughs> no, I don't. I just know that if you don't see Bethlehem stable through the lens of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you're missing the point. Jesus came. Why? Because that message of salvation had to play out exactly as it did. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself and committing unto us then that message of reconciliation. So we close out today then and wrap things up with one great passage, one more. 1 Peter 2, 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Listen to me this morning. We were once dead in sin. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 tells us. We were dead in sin. But because we believed on Jesus Christ, now Simon Peter tells us we are dead to sin. So that we can live under righteousness. Where once we were lost. Now Simon Peter tells us we've returned to the shepherd of our souls. And don't we have a good shepherd today? 
where once our life was all about seeking something when we didn't even know really what we needed. We looked in all the wrong places. Now we understand that Jesus Christ was born into this world, lived a sinless life, died on the cross as a substitute for my sins. Now we understand that he gives us that simple command, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And because of this sin, everything in my life changes. Now my life makes eternal sense. Now my life has a purpose beyond myself. Now I've returned to the good shepherd and I'll never be lost again. Never. Because Jesus said, what? I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, if you're not saved today, you're lost. Jesus is seeking you. He says to you, behold me. Behold me. Look at that nail. Look at those nail-pierced hands. Look at that brow with the crown of thorns, the feet, the lacerated back. Look at him, high and lifted up, paying the price for your sins, dead, buried, resurrected, alive forevermore. He did that for you. Now the question is, have you called on him? Bible tells us, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you called on him to ask him to be your savior? Have you trusted him? Can you go back to that time in your life where you believed on Jesus Christ and you received that salvation that he offers? You say, oh yes, Brother Rich, I've, I've done that. Then amen, amen. But that doesn't mean this message isn't for you because it is see after a while there's an old saying I don't know where it came from but there's an old saying that says time is the enemy of all plans over time you know just over time I'm afraid that we who are saved if we're not real careful might be inclined just to lose the wonder of this incredible message of salvation. Aren't you glad you're saved today? Oh. Every day of our life then, for the moment we're saved, we live not as a lost person, not as a dead person, not as a seeking person, seeking something we don't even know what. But now we have Jesus Christ in our life. Don't lose the wonder. Let's all stand together at this time. We're going to have a moment to consider where we stand with Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to be saved. Maybe you simply have been walking in your own path, going your own way. We're going to sing this verse or two of invitation as we do. If you need to respond, you come as we sing for the way.